Vanamali Gita Yogashram, Rishikesh, North India, situated on the banks of the holy river Ganga at the foothills of the Himalayas. This is the twelfth talk in the series and is on the eleventh chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. It is entitled Vishwarupa Darshana Yoga or the Yoga of Cosmic vision. Chakshu Pashyame Yoga Maishwaram 
ಸ್ವಕ್ಷರಂ ತದಸತ್ಪರಂ ಪುನಶ್ಚೂಯೋಮಸ್ತೆ ಮಕ್ಕುರಸ್ತಾದೀಮಸ್ತ್ರಹೇಯಾದ ಮಯಾಪ್ರಮಾಪ್ಯಚ್ಯುತಕ್ಷಾಮೇತ್ವಾಮಸ್ಯೂಜಸ್ತುರ್ಗರೀಯ ಸಮೋಸ್ಯಭ್ಯಧಿಕೋನ್ಯೋಗತ್ರಿಘಾಯಕಾಯ್ಯಸಾಧೇತ್ವಾಮಿಶಮೀಪೂರ್ವಿ ಭಯೇನಚಕ್ರವ್ಯಧಿಗಮನೋಮೇ ಪ್ರಸನ್ನೇನತವಾರ್ಜುನೇತ್ರಮನಂತಮಾಧ್ಯಂಗ್ರೇಷ್ಟಪೂರ್ವೇದಂಗಂಶಕ್ಯಹ
we would see still further stars and galaxies. This is just a tiny portion of infinite space. The world we stand on is itself only a speck in space, and we ourselves are not even specks. And yet we glibly talk of infinite space as if we know all about it. Now let us think of eternity. Our knowledge of past history goes back at most to 10,000 years. Of the time before that, we know nothing. Our individual time is not even a hundred years. It is equally impossible to conceive of the time that is yet to come. Just as our world is only a moat in the infinity of space, so also our individual life, or even, say, 10,000 years, is only a speck in the eternity of time. The river of time flows ever forward. We neither know its source nor its end. We see only a few drops of its flow in the middle. The Supreme is above both space and time. So the God vision has to be a timeless, faceless experience, which by our very nature is an impossibility. But Arjuna was very dear to the Lord, and when he implored him to show the cosmic form, if it were possible for a person like him to have such a vision, Lord Krishna could not refuse him, for Arjuna had totally surrendered his ego to him. This mighty warrior whose pride was like an armor to him till now, had now become like a child before the Lord. Such was the love he bore for him, that he could refuse him nothing, not even the seemingly impossible vision. This is to remind us that we also if we but become like Arjuna, surrendering our all to him, there is nothing he can refuse us, not even the impossibility of a Vishwarupa. Thou shalt see my hundreds and thousands of divine forms, various in kind and shape and hue. Thou shalt see today many wonders that none have beheld. Thou shalt see the whole world related and unified in my body. And whatever else thou wishest to see, it is the vision of the one in the many and the many in the one, the vision of endless 
infinite space and endless eternal time. How can the human eye behold this? The cosmic vision is the vision that God himself has in respect of the whole of creation and thus it can be seen only through the eyes of a God. And so the Lord tells Arjuna that he would give him divine eyesight. In the following verses, the poet tries to capture and enclose this infinite, eternal vision into the cage of ordinary language. Words have to be employed as vehicles in the description of this glory since we have no other instruments. Even the highest poetic genius has to employ images which belong to the world of language. Hence, usually, we find that the one who has actually experienced God is silent. Through his silence, he speaks volumes, but if he spoke, it would be blasphemy. So also, we find here that Arjuna is struck dumb, as it were, by this dazzling vision. And at first, the poet describes it through the mouth of Sanjaya, because Sanjaya was seeing it through a TV screen, as it were, while to Arjuna, it was a real-life experience. The supreme form which is made visible to Arjuna was that of the infinite Godhead whose faces are everywhere, in whom are all the wonders of existence, seeing with innumerable eyes, speaking from innumerable mouths, armed for battle with numberless divine uplifted weapons, bedecked with divine ornaments, robed in heavenly garments, adorned of divine flowers, fragrant with divine perfume. If one were to look at the sun, at its zenith, one would go blind. And here was a light with its as if a thousand suns had risen at once in the firmament. Arjuna sees this dazzling vision of God, which was at once supremely beautiful and supremely terrifying. The vision of him who has manifested this wild and wonderful, terrible and orderly, sweet and horrible world, and he is struck dumb. With hair standing on end with fear and joy and exaltation and horror all combined, he throws himself down before this mighty deity. 
and then proceeds to adore him with the words which were an outpouring of his entire soul. O Lord of Lords, he said, I see in thy body all the gods, Brahma seated on the lotus, the rishis and the other beings. I see numberless arms and bellies and eyes and faces. I see thy infinite forms stretching on every side, but I do not see either thy end or thy middle or thy beginning. Just as it is impossible to see the ending or middle or beginning of the universe, when we look up at the sky, so also there was the same experience for Arjuna. Though I see thee crowned with maize and discus, yet I can hardly bear to look at thee. Thou art a mass of blazing energy on all sides immeasurable. Thou art the supreme immutable. Thou art the foundation and abode of the universe. Thou art the imperishable guardian of the eternal laws, the soul of existence. The form fills all the regions and occupies the whole space between heaven and earth. It has a terrifying aspect, the image of the destroyer embracing the world with its numberless arms, with the sun and moon as its eyes. The burning blaze of its face is burning up the whole universe with the flame of energy. It has enormous eyes, mouths agape to devour, terrible tusks on which the heroes and generals of both sides are fixed and bleeding, crushed between its mighty canines. The nations are rushing with helpless speed into its mouths of flame, drawn like moths into the fire. The entire regions are baked in its fierce world is shaken with terror and Arjuna shares the scheme. Declare to me, O mighty Lord, who thou art with form so terrible. Salutations to thee, O great Godhead. I would like to know who you are, for I am ignorant of thy workings. In a thunderous voice, the Mighty One said, I am time, O Arjuna, the great destroyer. In my form as time, these people have already been killed. Be thou merely an instrument, O Arjuna. Nimitta matram bhavasabhya sajin. O thou mighty hero, why art thou afraid? Arise and slay those who have already been slain by me. The God vision, as has been said, is a timeless grasp of eternity. 
where everything is a here and a now. Our visualization is in a time and space series. We cannot see all things at once with our eyes. But this vision was a total grasp of the whole cosmos as extended in space and existing in time at one stroke. In the cosmic vision, there is no difference between past, present, and future. Everything is a magnificent here and now. So here Arjuna is told that in this timeless compre comprehension of God, everything has all, always been done in the firmament of infinity and eternity. The war has already been fought and won by him. So the only way left for the divine hero is to carry out the will of God without egoism as the human instrument, without personal enmity, hatred or desire. Hearing this resonant, thunderous voice of the mighty figure of God as time, Kala Swarupa, Arjuna trembled and spoke in a voice choked with emotion. See him the vision. His words prove that behind the mask of that awe-inspiring figure, he recognized the reassuring reality which had come to him in the form of his beloved charioteer. O Lord of Gods, abode of the universe, Thou art that which is truth and beyond truth and beyond both. Thou art the imperishable, Thou art the primeval one, the ancient person, the supreme abode of the universe. Thou art both the knower and the knowable. This universe is pervaded by Thee in endless forms. Thou art all the gods, Yama, Vayu, Agni, Soma, Varuna. Salutations to thee a thousand times, over and over again, from the front, from the back, and from every side, for thou art each and all that is. Infinite in might and immeasurable in strength, thou pervadest all and art all. Thou art the father of all this world, moving and unmoving. Thou art the one to be worshipped and the most solemn object of veneration. None is equal to thee in all the three worlds. Having said this much, he is overwhelmed with the feeling of shame at not having recognized this mighty figure in the humble guise of his friend and cousin, Krishna. So far, he had seen the humanity alone and had treated the divine as a mere human creature. He had not pierced through the mask to the Godhead of which the humanity was only a symbol and now he begs forgiveness. Not knowing thy greatness, 
taking thee to be an ordinary person. Ignorantly I have addressed thee as, O Krishna, O Yadava, O friend. Through negligence, fondness, or force of habit, I have slighted thee in fun, or while sitting, walking, eating, or sleeping, either alone or even in the company of others. O Lord, for this I beg your pardon. Therefore, offering my body at thy feet, I appeal to thee, O adorable Lord, pray pardon me, as a father would forgive his son, as a friend would forgive his friend, and as a lover his beloved. I have seen that which was never seen before, and I rejoice, but my heart is troubled and filled with fear. Therefore, O gracious one, show me your other and pleasing form once again. The purpose of this vision, as shown to Arjuna, is two. The first is to make Arjuna, and through him all mankind, to realize that all aspects of nature arise from God alone. He is Brahma, the creator, as well as Vishnu, the sustainer, the guardian of the eternal laws. But he is also Rudra, the dancer of the dance of destruction. Kali, his consort, with her garland of skulls, trampling upon him in battle. He is a gentle breeze, as well as a powerful typhoon, the life-giving rain, as well as a raging torrent, the tempest, the flood, the famine, the fire, earthquake, revolution and ruin. This is the aspect which is now projected for Arjuna. And this is the aspect from which his mind and ours turn away since we find it hard to understand and harder still to bear. Like the ostrich, we hide our faces from this in the hope that we may escape seeing this and in so doing escape also from being seen by him. The weakness of the human heart wants only comforting truths or in their stead pleasant fables. It tries to avoid the complete truth. Hinduism does not play this universal game of hide-and-seek. It places squarely before the mind of man both the terrifying as well as the sweet aspects of the Godhead. Arjuna, the mighty Aryan hero, has to be taught to look truth courageously in the face and see that God and God alone made the world as it is. We have to see nature devouring her children, time eating up the lives of creatures. We have to accept the fact that the bed of pain as well as the touch of pleasure are both his.
but he is also made to see that behind the grim visage of Kali is the sweet face of the Divine Mother ready to suckle her young. In the midst of destruction, the protecting arms of the friend of all creatures. In the midst of death, the figure of the master of immortality. The Rakshasas or evil ones who are ignorant of this flee before him in fear. But the Siddhas or the perfect ones, all-knowing, bow before him in adoration. Nothing has real need for fear except that which has to be destroyed, and that is ignorance. This vision is only outwardly the destroyer, time, who undoes all these finite forms. In itself, he is the infinite in whom all these are securely settled. He is the dual appearance of all that is and is not, of all that is manifest and non-manifest, of all things that appear and disappear. But beyond all this, he is the Supreme that holds all things together in the single eternity of a time which is ever-present. This is his final truth in which all opposites are reconciled. He is the knower who develops in man the knowledge of himself. Every knowledge of ours is only a partial unfolding of his infinitude. This is the first lesson to be learned from this vision. The next is the thought of the presence of this great Godhead in man. Like a stunning blow, this idea hits Arjuna, that in this body of the Son of Man, who moved beside him, sat by his side, lay beside him on the same bed, ate with him from the same place, is this ordinary figure of the mortal man was all the time concealed, the avatar of universal power. Only now does he see the universal reality in the individual frame, the divine clothed in humanity. At first he is aghast at the enormity of his crime, as we should all be when we think of how often we have treated a human being like an animal, berated him, kicked him, scolded him, and tortured him, ignoring the divinity within. Our minds can barely see the humanity in man, let alone the divinity. Arjuna, however, saw the humanity and missed the divinity. So the cosmic aspect was shown to him, for only then could he exceed the humanity. 
Arjuna was able to see it because he was given divine vision. But such a vision would be too overwhelming for us, as it was even to Arjuna. The gulf between the cosmic form and the bound soul is too much, so a bridge is necessary by which we can see the universal Godhead close to us, humanly clothed, to raise us up through an intimate relationship closer than the closest known between man and man. The awe and adoration by which the infinite creature bows down before the awe-inspiring infinite deepens into the most intimate love which lives in the sense of the fatherhood, the motherhood, the brotherhood, and the friendhood of God. The attracting love between God and man is sweeter and deeper than any human love. To Arjuna, this bridge between him and the transcendent was the figure of his friend and charioteer, Krishna, the humanized symbol of God. And so he begs him to appear before him once more in that entrancing form. In answer to Arjuna's request, Lord Krishna resumes his original form. The desired form of grace and love and sweetness and beauty. But once again he points out to Arjuna the importance of the cosmic form. O Arjuna, in this mortal world, I cannot be seen by anyone but you, nor through a study of the Vedas, or through rituals, charity, or penance. Why is it that this form cannot be seen through all the ordinary endeavors of human beings? Man can know by various other means many of the exclusive aspects of the one existence. But this reconciling oneness of all the aspects of divinity, in which at one and the same time, and in one and the same place, all is manifested and revealed, is impossible to achieve. When infinity and eternity are held in the palm of our hand, as it were. This can be seen only by an absolute self-surrender and perfect adoration or bhakti, the intimate unity of man and God, which is the crown of action and knowledge. But to know, to see, to enter into, and to be one with that supreme consciousness is the goal to which the Gita proposes for its yogi. Unless the little self melts away into the all-self, this vision is not going to materialize. Any austerity or act of charity which retains the individuality intact, even in the name of religion, or spirituality are against the requirements of this great realization. 
and thus the final verse of the chapter, which according to Adi Shankaracharya, the great exponent of the Vedantic philosophy, contains the quintessence of the Gita philosophy. Mat karmakut, mat paramo, mat bhakta, sangavarjidaha, nirvaira sarvabhodeshu, yasamami di pandava. O son of Pandu, he who performs actions for me, who considers me as the supreme goal, who is my devotee and is devoid of attachments, who is without animosity towards all living creatures, he alone attains to me. In other words, he who considers God as his only goal in life, the one who seeks God and God alone and who loves all creation equally since he sees his beloved clothed in every form only to such a person will the God vision become an immediate experience. Hariyom Tadsar Kandu nyan va 